We have been in this series on the parables of Jesus for a handful of weeks, and we're doing another one this morning. If you have a copy of the Bible or a, uh, you know, in your, on your phone or the ones even on your uh, kneecaps, feel free to open up and follow along in Matthew chapter 22, where we will look at the parable of the wedding banquet, which I think is very fitting uh, on this day where we celebrate or are celebrating our commitment as a church to want to see um, more people in our community come to know uh, the gospel message for themselves. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, the parable of the wedding banquet. Follow along as I read. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad As well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests. He noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding wedding clothes. He asked how did you get in here without wedding clothes friend. The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants tie him hand and foot. And throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let me say something again, uh, repeating uh, something I've said before about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, right? These are extended analogies, extended, you might say, metaphors or similes. Jesus is trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is, first of all, it's not a place, right? It's not the Middle East or, or, or some other place. The kingdom of God is also not a future event. Sometimes we think that, well, the kingdom of God is, is when everything is set to rights and, you know, the, the lion lays down with the lamb. It's off there in the future only. No, the kingdom of God is not a geography. The kingdom of God is not a future event. What Jesus is saying this is part of the, the, one of the key teachings in these parables, right? He's come to announce the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is the power of God. The kingdom of God is, you'd say, the love of God. The message of God as it comes to bear in the individual life, right? My life, your life, anybody's life, who's open to it. Which is why, as a pastor and as a Christian, um, I am not discouraged. I'm not, I'm not um, you know, uh, 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 
demotivated by people who say to me, and they do all the time, listen, I'd, I'd believe in what you have to say. I'm, I'm open to uh, listen to what you have to say. But I can't believe in God because the world's a mess politically and socially and otherwise. So how can I expect to believe that God is active in the world, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done, when the world is such a mess, okay? And I would say this to those friends and to you if you think that way. Let me tell you something. Although the world is very uneven and, and broken and in a mess, God is interested in righting the wrongs of the world. And if you read the Bible, some of us don't, all the way to the end, you will see that everything eventually is set to rights. Okay, that day is coming. But what Jesus was saying is, listen, first... The kingdom of God needs to come to the human heart. Because if I can't touch the human heart, if I can't um, fix and heal the human heart, which is the source, the, the center of all brokenness and sin and greed and on and on and on. If I can't fix the heart first, if the kingdom can't come there first, then a new infrastructure, a new political uh, infrastructure is not going to change anything, okay? Now, this parable, if you listen to it carefully, this is, scholars have said this for a thousand years, so it's not new information, but in a sense, it's an allegory in just 14 verses of the entire salvation history of the Bible. Let me give it to you real quick. It's about a king, okay? Let's, that's God himself, who decides he wants to throw a wedding banquet for his son, that's the, the Messiah, Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it's called the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, okay? And in a sense, the whole Bible, see, some of us, we, we, we cherry-pick the Bible or we think this, it's in the Bible, it's not in the Bible. The whole Bible is a love story. It starts with a wedding, Genesis 2, and it ends with a wedding, Genesis 19, 20, and 21, okay? The whole Bible is a love story, and it's the father who's in love with humanity. He sends his son, who is the bride. The church is the bridegroom, and then he has this announcement. He says, at the end of time, we're going to bring it all together, and we're going to throw a party, a feast of joy. A wedding's a great metaphor for that. That's going to be the celebration of, of God's love for all time. Now, he sends out his servants to people to tell them this message. In the Old Testament, it's the prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, you know, and on and on and on. And in the New Testament, it's Christian missionaries. But in both cases, in large degree, people say, uh, I'm not interested. I got a family to take care of. I got a business to do. Thanks, but no thanks. And they mistreated them. It's the story of the entire Old Testament story. It's the story of the last 2,000 years in many ways. Nevertheless, despite all of the no thank yous and slam doors, and I'm busy, God continues to send out the invitation. Now, not just to the, let's say, the first uh, list to the, quote, religious insiders, but he says, go to the street corners and send it to everybody, uh, no matter what their background, no matter who they are, no matter what they may have believed in the past, send it to everybody, which is the mission of the New Testament church, okay? That's what this parable is saying. First point, this one should be easy for us to grasp, I think, because we've been talking about it. The only way in I'm talking about into the kingdom of God, of which this wedding feast is, a, is an image. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to talk about the kingdom of God. 
The king, the only way in is to be invited. Okay? If you read this parable carefully, you'd see that word is used four times. Right? So we don't miss it. Verse 3, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 14. And there's so in the in the multiple invitations that go out, right? And the multiple no thank yous, the sort of unin, the, the uninterested guests paired with, let's say, the great compassion and love of God that says, keep sending them out anyway, in a sense, is the theme of the entire Bible. It continues to amaze me how people say, you know, I get into conversations with people all the time. You know, I was in a conversation just Friday night. I was at this bar restaurant. A friend of my family's was in a band, and we're there seeing him. And, and during the breaks, I'm talking to this one guy who's kind of a friend of a friend. We had a great conversation. He brought it up. Next thing you know, he's telling about Jesus had a relationship with Mary Magdalene. He knows it's in there, you know. Well, it's not in there, okay. And there's a lot of other things we think that are in there that aren't in there because we don't actually read the Bible. But if you do read the Bible, if you do, from cover to cover, you would see a common theme all through the nation, all through the Israel history with the Jewish folks, people in the Old Testament, people of God in the New Testament, and it's very simple. The whole human race says, for the most part, uninterested, no thank you, I got better things to do, and God keeps saying, I want you to come, I want you to come, I want you to come, okay? But what's said here, it's worth pointing out, verse 10, because again, you know, we kind of miss it sometimes, you know, um, this second invitation is actually radical even within the Bible story itself, okay? Even within the Bible story itself, this is a radical statement, and it shows something to us about the heart of God. You might say that the first group, what's the interpretation of this, if it's salvation history in a sense? The people who are invited are the people that you would expect to be invited. Okay, this is not that difficult. If you had a wedding, looking at Larry and Kathy Seifer over there, that's what you get for sitting in my sight line. They've married a couple of their kids, but when they get ready to do a wedding, right, they'll do another one or so. And they, when you get ready to do a wedding, let me tell you something. You typically sit down, right, and you invite your family and the family of your uh, child spouse and, um, uh, you know, the, the person they're about to marry. And, and, and your fr- you, you don't invite random people, okay? The people on the first list, right, Iacona? The people on the first list are people that you know. And in religiously speaking, when you're talking about this parable, who are the people that are invited? I think we can say they're the church people. Or in this case, or the Jewish people. They're the people that you would expect to be there. But what happens is, is that there's something that that messes up the plan. And a lot of those people are glad to get the first invitation. When the second one comes, that's just, you know, the way this culture works, they say, listen, I'm busy. I'm not interested. And so God says something radical. So he says to these servants who went out into the, he said, listen, those who are invited, they don't want to come. So I'm changing the rules of the game. Go out into the streets. Go to the street corners. Okay, it means what you think it means. Go to the street corners and invite anybody who wants to come. Listen carefully. The bad as well as the good. Okay? In fact, if, people, if, if you run into people who don't go to church or don't go to temple and, 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 and they got tattoos or they have a bad attitude or, or they have come from a different, the other side of town, I want you to invite them. Okay? That's a radical statement. 
because the original invitees, this is kind of the point of the parable, had better things to do, things open up. Think about this for a minute. If you, if you were going to invite your 50 friends, if you decided to invite your 50 friends to dinner at your house two or three Fridays from now, my guess is, if you're like me, more, half or more of those people would, make, would say thanks but no thanks Now uh, to that invitation. Now those friends would say thanks for no thanks not because they don't love you but because, frankly, they have other things they want to do, right? Okay, you're all looking at me like, I would never do that. Get over yourself. Of course you would do that, right? <laughs> they have other things to do, right? You're all busy people. But if you went out to hungry people, homeless people, whatever, if you went out to hungry people and you found a group of hungry people and you invited them over to dinner to your house and, and you were going to get them there, let me tell you something, you'd have to buy more chairs. Okay, That's all that Jesus is saying here. Are you hungry? Am I hungry? What I'm telling you is this, first point, I just said, you know, the way in is to be invited. If you don't know by now, and you're all here at church on a Sunday morning, you probably do. God's love for the world, God's love for you, far exceeds your personal achievements and far exceeds your personal sins and failures. God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you that over time in order to make you good. It's his love and his forgiveness that changes your life. Do you get that? Only the invited the only way in, excuse me, is to be invited. Now, second point to really the meat of this parable. The invitation by itself will not get you in. This is very interesting. The invitation by itself, like, like in these parables, Jesus is using, a, a, like he does in all the parables, he's using basically street understanding, just like if I was telling you a story and I said, you know, there's these two guys and they were at a coffee shop or whatever. I mean, I'm telling you something that's real or a two, got two neighbors. Jesus is using something that's real. He's using something, a key point in this culture to make his point. And that, that, that cultural sort of um, uh, practice is the double invitation to the wedding. Very common in Jesus' day if, you, if you're a student of the scriptures or of this time period. And what they did was this. They would, they would have a, 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 a first announcement. And the reason they had a double invitation is because if you, in this day, when you were going to uh, marry off your daughter, as an example, the fiancé would have to come up with a dowry. Doesn't happen that way in today's culture, which means they need to raise some money. This young man needs to raise some money and the, the, the ladies, the young woman's parents, they need to build an extra room on their house if, or, 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 uh, uh, or build a second house on their property because that's where, that's where a young couple would live. That's the way this culture works. So because there's no specific time frame, I might be a wealthy family. Maybe it takes me three months to raise the dowry. I might be a poor working man, and it might take me 16 months to raise the money, and the same goes for building the house. So you get the first invitation. That's how it worked in this culture. And then the second one, when everything was ready, then he said to his servants, listen, now the food's on the, uh, the grill. The ox has been uh, slaughtered. It's been butchered. Come to the wedding. Then you get the second one. It's not so different from our culture in this way. Many of you, me, uh, this doesn't happen at every wedding, but you get the save the date card, okay? Now, here's the thing about the save the date card, okay? The invitation by itself will not get you in. The save the date card 
doesn't commit you to anything, right? I mean, I've had them. I put them up on my little window thing, and it's great. They're always using a beautiful picture. It's a young couple, okay, for the most part, right? And, um, and, but you know what? There's no commitment there. It's when the second one comes that you have to say, okay, now, honey, you know, George says to Cheryl, do we really want to go to this wedding, you know? <laughs> It's a destination wedding, and it's in, you know, in Chicago, or, uh, I mean, and we're going to buy a plane ticket. Then you have to say, do I really want to go, you see? It's the second invitation when the commitment actually comes in. I want you to think about your life. How does this apply? A lot of us have received the first invitation. Well, how do we receive the first invitation, Okay. We receive the first invitation in many ways. We receive it because you grew up in a quote-unquote Christian family. In other words, you didn't grow up in a Buddhist family or a Hindu family or, I mean, on and on. You grew up in a Christian family and your parents took you to church. That's the first invitation. Some of you experienced, you, 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 you became a part of a youth group at a church like Browncroft or, or another kind of church. You became part of a youth group and that was interesting and it was fun. But just because you're a part of a youth group and that's a good thing and you might have some fun and make some friends and hear some things, some messages and whatever the case may be, go on retreats, does not mean you're a Christian, okay? That's the first invitation. Some people in this room, they, get, they accept the first invitation because they fall in love with a young woman or in the case of a woman, a young man who happens to be a Christian, and, and I'm not much of a Christian, but boy, she looks great, and I love her. And if she wants to go to church, I guess I'm going too. It's not a bad thing. That's accepting the first invitation. Some of us receive the first invitation because we've been in a difficult situation in our life somewhere. Maybe a relationship challenge, maybe money, a job loss, any number of things. And we come to this moment of truth. Either someone has encouraged us or we know we say, listen, you kind of get on your knees literally or metaphorically and you say, God, listen, if you help me, I know you're out there. If you, if you can help me get through this jam, I promise you I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to move in this direction. I'm going to live for you, whatever the case may be. I'm going to do that. See, that's the first invitation. But the question that this parable answers, right, is, yeah, you got the first invitation, but when God finally calls... He sent the servants, those who had been invited. Okay? You're not in yet. You've just been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Now, interesting what, why, the, why they refused to come. Verse 5. Think about your own life. He says, come. The, the wedding is ready. It's time. Okay? Now you get on that plane, George. You know, it's time to go. But they paid no attention. Now watch this. One to his field, another to his business. The rejection's not made in the pursuit of evil ends. It doesn't say one to his mistress, right? It says one to his field and one to his business. The, per, the, the rejection's made in the pursuit of good ends, and most of them are for many of us. It's my family, right? One to his field. In my career, thanks God for the offer, but I'm busy right now. I have other things that are a greater priority for me. So I'm going to keep that uh, invitation on my refrigerator, but I'm not coming. But I would say to you, and this parable would say to us, 
that there is something deeper at work here. That's why verse 6 is here. The rest, these are the other folks that's, that said no thank you to the, to the call, the second invitation, so to speak, seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Wow. Okay? And you see that in the history of the church. I think it reveals there's an underlying motivation behind the thanks but no thanks, I'm busy. And the underlying motivation on the thanks but no thanks is, listen, God, no one's going to tell me how to run my life. Okay? But see, the truth is this. If, if you believe that God really created the world, that's an act of faith, right? It's not, you know, the universe didn't birth you kind of a thing. That God really did create the, the world. That's a high intelligence. And God created you and God created me. And he holds the stars together. And he created um, everything that you see. And it's beyond our, our, our imagination, right? What God has done. If that's all true, then when that God who created the universe calls you, you come, okay? You come. Because those people who say, and many of us do, well, not now. I got a family to take care of. I got a business to take care of. Thanks, but no, I'll keep that card. Let me tell you what they do with that card. This is not me being clever. They take that um, save the date card and they take it all the way with them to a godless hell. Because when people say, I'll do it later, they almost never do. And eventually, someday, right, your life will end. Okay? And it doesn't always happen on your schedule or on mine. Now, this question begs the question, right? I mentioned this last service. Well, Rob, how do I know if I am, if you are, if you've actually accepted the second invitation? How can you know that from this parable? And I would say this. The, the best way I can put it is this. If I just from this parable is whether or not your life in your day and in and out the day of your life, whether you're experiencing the joy of the Lord, right? It, let me say this. If, if you were someone, this is a parable, but it's making a point, who one day was a street person, and the next day you are sitting at the king's bank, the king, right? Meghan Markle and whatever her name, his name is, right? The king, you're at some fancy banquet and you were a street person and now you're there with some wedding clothes that have been provided for you. You're there. Let me tell you something. You're going to be full of some kind of joy and amazement and you're going to know that you're in. You're not normally in these kind of environments. You know it, okay? But if your Christian faith or my Christian faith don't raise your hand. It's kind of a burden. If you'd say, I don't really have a lot of joy in my life, and I don't really share my faith with other people at all because I'm not so sure I'm that excited about it myself, that might be a sign that you're not in. Say, you've received the first invitation, but not the second. My small group met a week or so ago, and we were talking about one of these parables. It wasn't this one. It was two parables ago. Um, and... And it was this, we're talking about the wedding, or, or no, the, the, the workers in the vineyard. But we came to this statement. Maybe you've said this to yourself. We were talking about people getting in the, into the heaven or not. It was kind of, this par, kind of this style of parable. And we said, I bet you, one of the guys in my small group said, I'll bet you there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that we, don't, we didn't expect would be there, right? And you say, well, you know, because we're so judgmental, 
ourselves. And we go, well, this guy's going to be there and Uncle Charlie's going to be there. And even though I didn't like these people. In other words, this whole idea of there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that we probably wouldn't let in, right? If I was the doorkeeper or you were the doorkeeper, but they're going to be in there. And I think that's true. But I would suggest to you something else is true. That there's also going to be a lot of people that we thought were going to be there that aren't going to be there. You see, they're first invitees. And some of those first invitees are church people. Some of them are sitting on the elder board. Some of them are pastoring churches and on and on and on. Okay? Because they've received the first invitation, but they've not received the second. The only way in is to be invited. The invitation by itself will not get you in. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care what school you went to or how much money you donate. It doesn't really matter in the end. It's whether or not you've humbled your life. You said, I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to drop what I've, I has in my hand and I'm going to respond to the call. Okay? That's the only way. That's the only one that matters. Those are the only people that get in. Last point. You cannot come as you are. Wow. Sounds like a contradiction. But I'm trying to be true to the passage here. And this is the only parable, and I'm just stuck with it because I'm in the book of Matthew, okay, where Jesus ends. If he left it at verse 10, it would be such a great parable, which says, listen, God's grace is wide and God's grace is broad and the good and the bad and anybody that gets in, doesn't matter what, amen, see you in the, on the other side, okay? Who have cooked up these last five verses, you know? Or, then the king comes in. And says, friend, what are you doing? The guy's now in the banquet. He's there. He's not one of the guys who said no thank you. He's not wearing a wedding garment. And he says, the guy has kind of stumped. He he's, he's, uh, has nothing to say. And the king says, toss him out into weeping and gnashing of teeth. What gives? What do you mean you cannot come as you are? I think the answer, this is a parable, comes in the end of verse 13, in the man's response. The king says, he doesn't say to him, why, are you, why is your skin this color? He doesn't say, why does your accent gives you away? He doesn't say, you're tall. He doesn't say, you know, you're, um, you're mean. He says, only asking one question. Friend, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? Okay? Now, it's assumed by the parable if you're invited to a, if you're first of all, if you're on the first invitation list, in other words, you're you're an insider and you know this is coming, you're probably going to wear, you know, I'm not going to come to your daughter's wedding with jeans with a hole in it. I mean, whatever. I mean, you, you, you're smart. You're gonna you're gonna honor this and you're gonna come with wedding clothes. And if you're if you were the first invited, you probably are a person of means in a manner of speaking. But see, these friends who were invited while the food was starting to steam, while, the, while you could smell the, you know, the, the, the brisket, they just came from the street corners. And one of two things would have been probably true when someone said, hey, how come you don't have the clothes on? I'm get, this is me hypothesizing, but it's not my wisdom. Okay, One is to say, well, number one, I didn't have time, sir. Because I just came from the street corner and I, didn't, I just came straight here from, uh, I just got on the bus and came. So one is I didn't have time. The other one is I don't have the money. I don't have the money. I'm, 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 I'm a poor person. Remember where you went out and far in corners of the streets and got everybody and their brother? Including people who don't have any money? So, but the fact that this guy doesn't give one of those answers 
tells you it's not one of his reasons. It's not time or it's expense. Here's what I think he's saying. See, there's many people. It's, 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 it's betraying an attitude that I think a lot of people have that are in your life and mine and maybe are some of you. There's a lot of people that say that God's grace means everybody gets in no matter what, right? Everybody gets in no matter what. I've heard people say to me, I've heard people say this to me in, in the last month, okay? Rob, I, I like what you got to say up to a point, but I don't want to believe in a God who would not accept everyone. And if you don't have a God, if the God of the Bible doesn't accept everyone, I want nothing to do with him. And this seems very enlightened. It seems very hip. It's very, you know, God accepts everyone. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? But there's a fundamental flaw in that thinking, if you think about it. If you're really using your head and your heart in that thinking. It's called the injustice of the world, right? We don't have to think very hard about how incredibly unjust this world is. Oh my goodness. I'm talking about the, not only the things on the global stage and the, in the developing world and this world, I'm talking about right down to your own family, the injustices and the evils and the, and the things that, are, that, are, that happen you know, a, a thousand times a day all the way down to your own life. And you'd say, what about those injustices? Does God not care about all the injustices of the world? Is God's point of view when it's over, it's over, it's just kind of a done deal and the past is the past? Let me tell you something, not at all. Let's go back to really reading the Bible to the end. Before you get to that great wedding banquet where it's an amazing, amazing banquet, Revelation 19, 20, and 21, let me tell you something, 22, 1 and 22, there's a dozen chapters of the most unbelievable judgment you've ever seen. There's no Michael Bay movie that even comes close. You think God isn't going to judge the injustice and the evil that have been done to you and your family and people in this world? Let me tell you something. He is going to do it. He's getting ready, and it's going to be a, a judgment scene that's beyond anything that any Hollywood person ever put together. Judgment is coming to the world. God does care. But what the second invitation says is this. See, salvation is free to all people, right? It's free, but it cost God something, right? It's not free to him. In between now and that great day of reckoning, Revelation chapter 4 through 19, read it yourself. Between now and that great day of reckoning, God sends out his servants, even to the street corners, to everywhere, and says, listen, if you're interested, judgment is coming. God is going to, you know, let, let, let every man be a liar, but God will be true, right? God is going to set the world to rights. He's a holy God, and he does care about the evil that's been done even to you that seems like it's not been meted out. But in the meantime, if you're smart enough and open enough, despite your past your list of achievements or your list of sins, if you're smart enough to accept the invitation, the judgment that belongs on you and belongs on me will be put on his son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen carefully to this verse. We're almost done. This is the gospel also in a nutshell. God made him, the father made the son, who had no sin, Jesus was sinless, Right? He didn't have a relationship with Mary Magdalene. Check the Gospels out, okay? 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, which means judged for us. Are you with me? So that in him, now carefully listen, we might, circle that word, become the righteousness of God. Not we will, we might. Well, what's the difference? You gotta come when he calls, see? If you're one of these folks who says, listen, I, I, I got that save the date card, but I got a field to take care of. I got a family to raise and a business to run. Thanks, but no thanks, okay? You'll take that save the date card to a godless hell. Not because God wants you to go there, but because when he called, you didn't come. Okay? That's what I'm saying. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says this in other places, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Okay? Hey, friend, what happened to the wedding clothes? When I say you cannot come as you are, what I mean by this is, it's not about your, you, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor or approval. The good and the bad come in. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including this pastor and every person in this room. You can't earn your salvation. It's not for sale. But if you say yes, God says you have to put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what the wedding clothes represent. Right? Someone, salvation's free to you, but it's not free to God. And he said, if you want to be at this wedding feast, you have to acknowledge that somebody paid a very high cost for your sin. His name is Jesus, and he, they ripped the beard out of his face, and they punched him, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they put nails in his hands and his feet. Why? so that you could experience the forgiveness of sin. He paid the price for your sin. God made him to be judged for you so that you might, if you're wise, if you're smart, become the righteousness of God in receiving him as your Savior. Understood? Okay. Whether you, so let me, let's, let's pray. I want to take just a minute. And, and, and pray, and I want to encourage you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're a Christian, and you'd say, Rob, I, um, you know, my life's imperfect like yours is, Pastor. We're all sinners. But I, I'm confident there was a time in my life that I received Christ, and although I'm not, you know, a 24-7 a, 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 a joy-filled person, I know the joy of the Lord, and I know I'm in. Then for you, I would just say, Hallelujah, and, and I'm grateful uh, for you as I say, think I'm grateful for my own salvation. Just, just be great. May this message be a reminder to you of the grace of God, that God loved you so much and still loves you so much, that he not only wants you to be in heaven with him, he wants you to grow more like him in this life. But if you'd say, you know, whether you're new to church services or maybe you're a elder board member I doesn't anywhere in between and you'd say you know I've received the first invitation but I've actually never received the second one or I don't think I have because of my own um, you know I don't know my own false confidence my own sense of that I I, 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 I deserve this I was born into it I'm I, 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 I've I just thought that I, I was already there but I don't know that I am there then I would encourage you to do what people have done and do 
across the world every day when they say, I'm coming. I'm going to drop what I'm doing and I'm going to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. So if that's you, I just want you to pray with me. Just to your, you know, quietly at your own seat. This isn't a, no one's going to know you're doing praying this prayer. But in your heart, if God is calling you, I don't know that, but in this church service, if God is calling you forward, that itself is an act of God's grace, okay? That itself is, is an evidence of the Spirit of God because there's a lot of people who say, I don't know what you're talking about. It means nothing to me. I don't believe in God. If God is calling you, I would encourage you to respond. You can pray a prayer like this one. Use your own words silently or agree with this prayer where you sit, God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for my sin. I hear your call today and I'm coming. Clothe me with your righteousness. Forgive me of all my sin. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Come into my life and be my Lord today. Now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to do a courageous act and just slip your hand up. Just up high, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hands all across. Up high. It's up and down, okay? All right, everyone lift your eyes up here. That's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. And this is a song I think every person in this room is going to know. You'll hear it in a second. So it's a great hymn of the faith. But while we sing this song, okay, I'm going to challenge you. There's some people up here, uh, and they're coming. Um that are going to pray. And if you prayed that prayer, right, number one, get out of your seat and come up here if you, you know, are so inclined and just say the name. This is Sally. Sally, here's my name. Karen, here's my Keith, here's, just tell them your name, Joan, this is my name, and let them pray for you. This is, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, the, the best day of your life in a manner of speaking. Or you're someone that said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I get this message, but I'm, I'm still a little reluctant. I'm a verse five or sixer that says, I got better things to do, but I'm, 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 I'm feeling called. You come up and allow someone to pray with you um, about what God is doing in your life and, and pray a prayer for you and with you. All right? And then we're going to, and then we'll, uh, we'll close in a minute. Amen? Amen.